Welcome to an inspirational message from Creekwood Church. We hope that you have an encounter with God and discover practical ways to help you live a life of purpose. Well, I want to get right into our teaching today. And if you have your Bibles, uh, turn to 1 Samuel 17. 1 Samuel 17. And if you don't know where 1 Samuel is, there's nothing wrong with not knowing where 1 Samuel is. You can go right to the front of your Bible and there's... Uh, um, Table of Conducts, if you're new to the Bible, you're like, man, uh, I know for me for a long time when I was like a teenager, I didn't know where all the books were, and I thought I had to know, and so I would just kind of turn until everybody stopped looking, and then I just opened up wherever. (laughs) Don't do that. Go to the front of your Bible. It'll tell you what page. Go to that page so you can read with us today. But we're in this series called Summer Stories, and basically what we've been doing is we've been looking at just some beautiful stories that are in the Old Testament. And, um, you know, the, the Bible is full of amazing stories that apply to our lives. And a lot of you guys are, are probably like me. You feel like you were born in church, you grew up in church, and you, you've read a lot of uh, the stories. And so it's easy to just kind of get numb to it. But one of the things that's so beautiful about God's Word is that every time you read it, Every time you look at it, God speaks to you in a new way and shows you some different things. And this story that we're going to look at today is probably one of the most um, well-known stories that, that you've ever heard. And it's the story of David and Goliath. And um, there's, it, it's probably one of the most epic battles that ever took place. Uh, there's been movies that have been made uh, about this battle and, and just, you know, man, you can't go to Sunday school without hearing about David and Goliath. And so it's a very, very common story that we've heard a lot. And I don't want to just specifically talk about the battle that happened between David and Goliath today. I want to talk to you for a few moments about what happened before the battle and just a few moments about what happened at the end of the battle. You know, it's important to really understand a story is to know what happened before and what happened after. And in this story that we're going to look at, basically, uh, there's this battle that's happening. The Israelites are fighting against the Philistines, and um, David, um, he is not a soldier. He's not out on the battlefield. In fact, he had to stay home. He was too young to go, and and so he's one of the guys that had to stay back and take care of the sheep. And so he's taking care of the sheep. He's a shepherd, and his brothers are out. They're out in this this, uh, battle, and and the Bible tells us an interesting fact about this is that they're not fighting a battle. They're out on the battlefield, and they're camping. They're camping at this this borderline where the Philistine army is, their enemy, and they're just kind of camping out there. And his brothers are there, they're part of this army, and David is not there. And his father, Jesse, comes to him one day and he says, David, I want you to go check on your brothers. And why don't you take them some food and like, let's have your mom make some pimento cheese sandwiches. And get them a bunch of Gatorade. Why don't you go pull the biggest cooler we have. Find one of those big old coolers, get Dr. Pepper's, Gatorade, all the stuff that your brothers love. Get them all their favorites. They, you know, I'm sure some of his brothers love moon pies. And he gets all this really cool stuff together, and he's packed up, got this big old cooler, and he heads out to, 
to find his brothers, and he finds something that's really confusing to him. Because he gets to the edge of the, of the battlefield, and he's expecting to walk up to this big warfare that's going on, that his brothers are fighting, and he's thinking, man, I'm going to get there, and I probably won't be able to get real close because they're going to be fighting this battle. And what he, what he finds is when he gets close, they're not fighting a battle. They're soldiers. They're, they're part of this, this army, but they're not being who they are supposed to be. And the Bible tells us that, that really they did, it's like they didn't sense the urgency of what needed to be done. And David sees what's going on and he starts asking questions. His brothers get mad at him and they were like, you know what, you need to be quiet, you're just a kid. And they were like, David is asking all these questions. Why aren't y'all doing something about this? Goliath, the giant's on the other side of the border and he, and, and he is yelling out all these insults and they're not doing anything about it. They can do something about it, but they're not doing anything about it. And David makes a decision to not just stand by and do nothing. He decides that he's going to do something about it because he decides there's some urgency about what needs to happen. Have you ever been in a situation where you didn't realize how urgent something was? Like that's happened to me a lot in my marriage. My wife and I have gotten in plenty of arguments where I didn't really understand the gravity of something. And how, I know some of y'all are like real good Christians and you, know, you never get in a fight in your marriage. My wife and I get plenty of arguments and some of them are fights, okay. But most of the time it's my fault because my wife's like holy and godly and I'm the one that's always doing the boo-boos. And, uh, um, but this happened to us a while back. My wife is in, she's exercising in our pool and I am weed eating and my weed eater, uh, the cord like uh, runs out. And how many of you know, all the men in here know what I'm talking about. When you got a job to do as a man, you got to focus. I'm focused on getting the cord replaced and, and re-wrapped re, re around it. And my wife is in there. She's doing her little aerobic exercise and she's all happy. And, and I'm like over there, I'm sweating and I'm hot and I'm suffering. <laughs> and I'm over there and I'm like, I'm glad she's in the pool having a good time because I'm over here and I'm frustrated because my weed eater's not working right. And all of a sudden out of nowhere, she starts screaming at me. And I'm like, what's going on? I look up, and there's this giant rat. I'm not kidding. It was this big, and it's swimming towards her. <laughs> and my wife's, like, screaming at the top of her lungs. She's frozen. She's just like, Steven, there's a rat. And I'm like, calmly, I'm still focused. <laughs> and I'm like, babe. There's a big old rat coming towards you. Better get out of the pool. <laughs> and I kept trying to roll it. I was focused. I had to get this thing done. It was important or the yard wasn't going to get done. And I told her she better get out. And she want, expected me to jump in to the pool and rip that rat's head off. <laughs> like I was going to get in there and catch the rat with my hands. I'm like, the logical thing is get out of the pool. Why should I get in there with that rat? Might have rabies. I don't know. So it wasn't a good day. <laughs> the rest of the day was not good. But uh, 
David sees a problem and he sees a situation and he senses the urgency. And he says, I'm going to do something about it. And the word starts to spread about this in verse 31 of 1 Samuel chapter 17. This is what happens. Now, when the words which David spoke were heard, they reported them to Saul. And he sent for him. Then David said to Saul, let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. He says that I'm going to go do this. I will go fight. And I, I want to talk to you about this because there's something going on here in this battle. There's plenty of soldiers. There's this huge army, and they're all camping out. And nobody thinks they can do anything about it. And there is a phenomenon that maybe you have heard of or maybe you've never heard of, but it is the bystander effect. I don't know if you've ever heard of the bystander effect. Basically, if you're taking notes today, the definition of a bystander effect is this phenomenon that refers to the greater the number of people present, the less likely people are to act. The greater the number of people that are present, the less likely people are to act, to take responsibility, to help out, to step out. It's the bystander effect. In other words, the more people that are in a crowd, the less likely anybody's going to do anything about it. And this bystander effect, this phenomenon, it comes from what happened in the 1960s. Now, you may not be aware of this, but in the 1960s, a 28-year-old girl by the name of Kitty Genovese, we have a picture of her, 28-year-old girl was brutally murdered on the streets of New York City, and 38 people stood by and watched her be murdered. That's not counting all the people that were looking out the windows. That's not counting all the people that were standing down the street and could hear, hear her screaming. The reports, go read the story. It took 30 minutes after she died before anybody called the police. It's the bystander effect. It's where there's so many people around that you just kind of assume somebody else is going to do something. So what happens is that nobody does anything. Nobody decides that I need to do something because there's, too many, there's a whole bunch of people. Somebody will do it. This term comes from a, 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 a common thing that happens to us is that when you're in a large crowd, there's this diffusion of responsibility where you don't feel responsibility to do something about something that you see that is urgent, that you need to do something about it, but because there's a lot of people here, why should I do something? Somebody else will do it. Sociologists have done a lot of studies on this and the bystander effect, and they, one of the studies, just to give you an example that they did about it, is that they went around to a lot of waiting rooms, emergency rooms, and doctor's offices, and what they did is they, 
basically just put a little bit of smoke in the room, just a little bit, not a bunch, just a little bit of smoke. They kind of put it in the room. And what they found is that if there was one person alone in the room and there was a little bit of smoke, it was 75% of the time that person got up and went and tapped on the window and said, hey, there's some smoke in this room. You might want to know, might want to do something about it. They said that if there were three people in the waiting room, it went down to 38%, 38% of the time. And then if there were a much larger group, it jumped to even this number. And this is shocking to me that it was only 10% of the time that somebody got up and said, if there was a large group, nobody did it. Only 10% of the time did anybody get up and say anything. It's the bystander effect. And the more I look at the bystander effect and I understand it, one of the things that, that concerns me is when you look at the local church and you look at what happens in the church, I believe that the bystander effect is one of the greatest compromisers. It is one of the greatest compromisers of our potential as God's people to make a difference in our world. It's the bystander effect. It's where I just, I assume somebody else is going to do it. And what happens is, is, for example, in a church that's growing is that the larger the church gets, the easier it is to kind of just get lost in the crowd and think that somebody else is going to do this. And what happens is it, it doesn't get done. And you think about what happens so oftentimes is that, but listen to me, we end up not doing anything. And those opportunities that God puts in front of us, we just think somebody else is going to do it. You know what's shocking to me is that you look at the big church, I'm talking about the big church as a whole in America, is that do you know that 10% of the church does 90% of the work in the church? It's the bystander effect. It's everybody thinks it just gets done and we become attenders. This becomes a country club. Aren't you glad you came to church today? <laughs> Y'all getting real quiet. I just felt like today ought to be a weekend that I ought to get up here and I ought to ring the bell for us. That I ought to ring the bell here at Creekwood and say we cannot be a church that is a, is a bystander church. We cannot be a bystander. We cannot be people that are bystander to the people around us in our city that are hurting. We cannot be bystander of, of the needs that are so incredible in this community. And what's, what's so dangerous is that we can fall in, into the the rut of believing that the church is all about drawing lines in our culture. Where it's us against them. Where it's, it's you know what, yeah, you know what, if, if we could just get Trump out of office, or if we could just get Obama back in, or if we could just get whoever, I don't care who we think. And I know this is going to offend some of you, but I'm okay with offending you today. Listen, Creekwood is not Republican and it's not Democrat. 
We're not here to be a political church. We're here to reach the lost. And last time I checked, the Republicans are lost and the Democrats are lost. We're all sinners. We're all messed up and we cannot stand back and go, you know what, yeah, the world's messed up and our culture's messed up. Listen, our city needs somebody to stop just pointing out what's wrong with our world and step up and say, this is what's right about my God. My God loves you. My God cares about you. But this bystander effect is what happens is that you just kind of, listen, we do it unintentionally. It's not that we're bad people. It happens unintentionally. You just kind of get in a big group and you start to think somebody else is going to take care of it. This is what's going on in some of your minds even when you, when you hear us talk about the, in seven days we are shutting down, like we're not having service. I've told some of my friends that are pastors, hey, guess what we're doing? We're not having, we're not having services. And they're like, what? Y'all are like, like, you're not having services? I'm like, yeah, we're not having services. And they think we're like a little crazy. Because I know what some of you are thinking, because this is what they're thinking that some of their people are thinking, is that you're thinking, well, you know what? You know what? If they're not doing worship, if they don't have praise and worship, and I don't get a little bit of keys and a little bit of guitar going on, and I can't get my worship on, I'm not going to church next week. And we get kind of self-righteous, and we're like, you know what? I'll just lay before the Lord in my bed. I know none of y'all think like that, but there are a few. They were like, you know what, I just, you know, I just think we ought to have church, a church service because that's what godly people do. And if you're not going to do that, I'm going to just lay in bed and listen to me some worship and I'll turn on the Christian TV or whatever you do. And you're going to have a little bit of church. And I'm, it's very easy to rationalize and convince yourself that that's, that you know what, Somebody else will do it. Somebody else can go over there and do something for somebody because. But you know, there's something powerful when God puts you in a place and God shows you something that needs to be done. And this is where the the bystander effect kind of happens in a lot of us is we 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 kind of this is how we rationalize it again in our minds is we are like well you know if God wants to do something he'll just do it and I'll just tell you this is that's not the way it works with God God doesn't just do things he has chosen to partner with us that, that God takes our steps of faith that God takes what we do And God works with what we do. We are in partnership with God. God's depending on us. And we're depending on God. You know the Bible says in James chapter 2.17, so you see faith by itself isn't enough. Unless it produces good deeds, it's dead and useless. So in other words, if, if your faith doesn't do anything to make a difference, it's dead. guys are being real quiet. (laughs) There's no life there. What is it that's stopping you from making a difference? You you walk, and listen, 
I know we're talking a lot about making a difference in our community, but one of the most powerful ways that you can make a difference is, is on a weekly basis commit to saying, you know what, uh, I, whether it's once a month or, or whenever it is, whatever your schedule can do, you, you find yourself, you're saying, you know what, I will serve somewhere. I'm going to make a difference. I cannot be a bystander. And just think everybody else's. There, there is somebody, there's some kid, there's some teenager, there's some young mom, there's some dad out there that God's depending on you being the person that you're going to hear his voice when he says, I want you to do something for them. See, when we go from being passive to doing something, we create the opportunity for God to do something big. See, when you look at this story, it, it really is like, don't you kind of wonder if it's really true? Like, you look at this story and David, the fact that this young kid, all he has is a slingshot and he's got some rocks and he goes up and he kills a giant with a slingshot and some rocks. This guy's a warrior. He's got all this armor on and, and David does something that is like, it's supernatural what happens. It's not normal. It is like, you're like, I, I don't know if I believe it. Listen, it's true. It happened. But it's not normal. It's not normal because God is at work and it is a supernatural move of God that God took something that a young man did that was in the natural and he put the supernatural in it. That means when you go take a mower and you mow some single mom's yard, that is something you're doing in the natural. God will take your, your natural and God will perform something supernatural through your natural act. I'm preaching a lot better than y'all are amen in today, but that's okay. <laughs> I know I'm up here spitting and you're like, what? I'm sorry. My wife's like, hold it down, calm down. When you take and you go do something, you drop off groceries in the natural, God takes that and he performs something supernatural. See, I'm believing this next weekend when we all show up and we go out to all these different, all these different places. And man, aren't you excited we're going to go like paint dog houses? Because dogs love the Lord. You notice we didn't say we're going to go do anything for cat houses. They're beyond help. They're like little demon juniors, you know, they can't. There's no salvation for, for cats. Where was I? I don't know where I was. What was I talking about? Got off track here. I just, man, I want to ring the bell today with us. I want to ring the bell so loud in this place that every single one of us understands that what makes the church the hope of the world, what makes the church the hope of the world is when we all decide we will not be bystanders. But we will step out and we will say, I will do whatever, God, you show me in front of me. God, my giftings, my talents, whatever you've given me, God, I'm going to use it to go make a difference. And let this next weekend be a catalyst of a new lifestyle that you live. That it, it, it primes the pump in your life that you discover something that you say, I never dreamed. That doing something for somebody... 
that couldn't do anything for me. So, you know, it doesn't take anything to go do something for somebody that likes you and they're your buddy and they're going to pat you on the back, invite you over for dinner, and, and you feel good, don't you? But let me tell you, if you've never done something for somebody that can't pay you back, they can't do anything for you. It's not going to make you look good in front of anybody. Maybe the only thing you see is somebody weeping and crying because they don't know how to thank you. And you have no idea what it means to them that you showed up and you did something for them. That's a powerful moment. When you start to discover that, you know what, with God's supernatural work in the natural, what you do, and you take what you have and you do something for somebody else, then God starts to do something that it's life-changing. See, the disciples, they, they didn't get it. You, you read in the New Testament even that there, there were moments the disciples continually, they, they thought the same thing that a lot of us think is that um, the way to change things is you just got to change the government. If we could just get another Congress or whatever. They, 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 I know none of y'all think that, but this is what the disciples thought. And they thought Jesus had come to do that. And they were waiting around for Jesus to set up some big government and new overthrow the Roman government. And Jesus comes along and he totally blows them away through his teachings and showing them a different model of how you change the world and how you change your culture. And he was continually showing them that the way that you change the world is through love and through serving people. And, and even at the last moment, you can see even the, the, the bystander effect in the disciples because they're all gathered in the upper room and these are the last moments of Jesus and somebody was supposed to wash their feet in that culture. They walked around in sandals, and they, were, they got dirty feet, and they're all sitting around, and they're looking, and they're like, I'm not doing it. Let Peter do it. Let Thomas do it. They're all looking for somebody else to do, to serve. Jesus comes in and starts, gets on his knees, and he starts washing their feet. He washes their feet, and this is what he says in John 13, 12. He says, after washing their feet, he put on his robe again and sat down and asked, do you understand what I, I was doing? And this is so important. He says, you call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, because that's what I am. And since I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought to wash each other's feet. I have given you an example to follow. In other words, he's saying, I'm showing you the strategy on how you're going to advance the kingdom of God, and it is through loving people and serving. Do you know that God is a much bigger God than we give him credit for? There are people out there that you've given up on that you think there's no way that God can change them. Listen, by you going and serving them, God can change them. You know why I know that? Because God changed you. God saved you. It's the power of of us doing in the natural and God taking it and performing a supernatural work. Verse 15, he says, I have given you an example to follow. Do as I have done to you. I tell you the truth, slaves are not greater than their masters, nor is the messenger more important than one who sends the message. Now that you have these things, it says, God will bless you for doing them. Do you know that there's a blessing, like I said a few moments ago, there's a blessing that you get when you serve people. That's, it's different than the blessing you get when you worship or, or when you give. God says that, this is his words, he says, I will bless you when you serve other people. 
The Bible, just very quickly, let me read a couple more scriptures as I wrap this up to you. Matthew chapter 20, verse 28, it says this, Your attitude must be like my own, for I did not come to, to be served, but to serve. Matthew 5, 14 says this, You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hid, neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bow. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father. 1 Peter 4.10 says this, Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to what? Serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. I I want us to pray today, but I I just want to challenge you. That this is much bigger than me just trying to motivate you to inspire you to somehow get out and start serving. Because listen, that lasts about five seconds after you walk out of here. God needs to show you through His Holy Spirit today to open your eyes to what's happening when the church buys into the bystander effect. And we all stand back. And this world is hurting. This world is in need of somebody showing them the love of Jesus Christ. Would you bow your heads with me as we pray? Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for, the God, the incredible gift for us to gather here and to worship you, God. God, we value these moments. We don't take them for granted. God, these are our powerful moments that you speak into our life. May we be challenged. May we be encouraged, God, to continue to live for you, God, with all that we have. Father, I pray for those that have walked through these doors that, God, are so discouraged. God, they're walking through a dark season of their life. May they be encouraged. May they be strengthened today, God. Father, I thank you that you are at work right now, even at this moment. We thank you for this, God. In your name, amen. Thank you for listening. For more messages and information about Creekwood Church, visit us at creekwoodchurch.com.